Hey Glenn, hey Chris, Rowan Tonkin here of Planful. Uh, welcome back to FPNA Fridays. We have uh, Chris Ortega and Glenn Snyder, as always. It's uh, it's Friday, everything's raring to go. And uh, last time we, we spoke, we, we've been on a little break. Everyone, I hope everyone had a great fourth. Uh, mine was amazing. And, um, you know, last time we, we were chatting, we were chatting about managing teams. And one of the topics that we really wanted to kind of spend more time on was managing high performers. And... Uh, you know, firstly, to all those listeners, I hope you've got high performers in your team um, because <laughs> they they make things so much better, but they also push you. Uh, and and I think that's something that we can talk about today is is how they push you, why they push you, and, and how to manage it when, when they push you because sometimes you can't always facilitate what they're looking for. Uh, so, Glenn, I know this is a topic near and dear to your heart. You you love creating high performers and managing them. I, I'd love you to to open up the conversation and 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 talk a little bit about uh, your perceptions and and your experiences in in managing top performers in your organisations. Yeah, thanks, Rowan. Uh, I always look at high performers as usually falling into one of two different buckets. Uh, you know, bucket one is the high performer go getter. This is the person who does a phenomenal job at what they do and they have so much energy they they're just running you know a mile a minute and they want to go over they want to expand they want to do a lot of different things the second category of high performers that i see is the person who just they nail it every single time you give them something but they don't really have that confidence to build and expand so you kind of got man she's two different people in, in different ways so let's first talk about the go-getters the go-getters, you have to be very careful. You don't want to stifle their creativity. You don't want to put, uh, you know, kind of handcuffs on them to prevent them from doing what they do best. But you have to be careful and you have to guide them. You have to set up the right guardrails because otherwise they could start expanding into areas and uh, start doing the work of other people. And that could come up to be uh, kind of a political issue sometimes, or people could feel very threatened. Not that, that that high performer is trying to take over somebody's role, but could be perceived in that way. So you have to be very careful about how you actually go about managing that person, not to stifle what they do best, but to make sure that what they do, they're not going to be running over people when they are moving forward. On the other side, you have those, uh, you know, you, you have the people who are just really solid, but they don't have that confidence. Maybe they don't have the experience. Maybe they're a little shy. We talked about that in a, in, in a previous FP&A Friday's uh, segment where we talked, you know, where a lot of people in, F, in finance in particular are more introverted. So maybe they're just really, really solid, but they don't have that, hey, I'm going to go out and drive something on my own. And for those people, you actually have to do the exact opposite. You have to encourage them. You have to put them in situations that you, you tell them, it's okay for you to go out and do this. And I want you to go and meet with these people. And I want you to take that next step. And you kind of got to do a little bit of handholding, not on the work or how they do it, but just more on, on the, the coaching around uh, giving them that confidence to drive something on their own. So to me, uh, you have those two different types of high performers. They take a very different type of skill set to, to manage each of them, but you want both of these types of people on your team. Yeah, I, I, I love that, Glenn. I think it's so important um, that you give high performers the freedom and the encouragement to go out and you know, one of the things that we talk about here at Planful, we have a saying uh, as part of one of our management principles is, um, you know, delegate, don't abdicate. And and what that means is making sure that you create that safety net for your, for your high performers. And so delegate, empower, give them all the things that they need to do, but don't abdicate. Don't let them fail. Don't let them, you know, ruin anything that would A, ruin the company or, or, or B, ruin their own reputation or, or the team's reputation. And and so that it's kind of that, that really tough mix, that fine line that you have to walk when you're managing a high performer like that. Chris, you know, you've A, been a high performer and, and I'm sure you've now uh, in your world managed a lot of them. What do you see as some of the... The key um, 
the key things that you need to do to empower top performers? Yeah, um, I think Glenn hit it right on the head, right? Um, high performers, man, they're going to be your your uh, your high engines, right? They're going to be the ones that are driving change. They're going to be the ones challenging you. They're going to be the one pushing the organization forward. Um, a lot of my time earlier in my career as an individual contributor, I was just that, right? Like, I mean, I was the type of person that I came in. I said, look, what what's important to me is being empowered. What's important to me is connecting. What important is, is challenging. And what, what also drives me is the ability to be, have impact and influence, right? And it, it's not necessarily impact or influence over people, but it's over, okay, here's what I'm able to do. The One of the worst things that you can do for a high performer on your team is box them in, right? I think when the moment that you put a high performer to say, okay, you got all these skills, passions, and talents, but we're going to have you only focused in this area. You've, you've lost a significant amount of investment of that person being engaged and also their ability to, to really challenge the organization. Um, I remember starting off earlier in my career in public accounting. Uh, and and I, I remember coming into public accounting and I was always like the curious person asking, no, why are we doing the same as we do last year? Like, why, is you, why are you telling me this is what it's going to do? Right. And, and I knew for me, that I had to adjust my, because my curiosity in that element was also like, Chris, why are you, why are you challenging this? I'm like, I'm not challenging it. I'm just trying to understand. And like, I'm trying to understand. So for me, it was a lot of balancing as an individual contributor, as a leader, managing high potential, high performers. It's also that same balance, but you, you also have to the thing about a high potential, high performer, they're always going to be challenging, but sometimes you got to give them the step back and say like, look, I know you're pushing things. I know you want these things done in the business, but this is what we can do right now. This is how we can bridge to ultimately what we want to get to, but making that jump and just, I also like as leaders, you, you, you have to keep them in an area that it's like a safety net, right? Like, Hey, here's the entire road that you can operate on but you know the road that they're operating on. So they have free flexibility to turn left, turn right, back up, but they're still operating on this highway. Because I think if you give a high performer just kind of free reign, a lot of it is you're going to get those blindsided things and they're going to learn or or maybe that, that confidence doesn't come up to where they're, hey, I made this mistake and you're having to like, hey, what, what's really going on? So I think to me, it's always like a balance. And being a leader and losing high performers, like, man, that's tough. But I also look at it in my career when I was making the transition. It's like it comes full circle when you used to be that individual contributor high performer and you left a team and now you're leading a team and your individual contributors that are those high performers leave. But at the end of the day, here's what's really important, right? We, as finance, accounting, FP&A, we are in a people partnership business, right? We finance does not lead the business. The business is a, by, finance is a byproduct of the business. And I think for me, I've always looked at that to say, hey, these are things that are gonna be happening for people. I mean, you know, most recently I had a high performer on my team lead. Uh, we promoted her, she was our US controller. She was leading our Americas. She found another opportunity, right? That was tough, that was tough. But at the end of the day, I looked at it as a leader and said, you know what? I know the, the time that we had with her, the time that she was with us, we empowered her, we invested in her, we developed, and, and as she was there, she made the America's business better because she was there. And I know as a leader that I did the best that I could to invest into her for her next opportunity and, and along the way. And I think that's the thing you need to think about. It's, it, don't get me wrong. It's tough. It's a huge disruption, not only to your functional team, but to the organization when you lose a high performer, right? Like you lose a talented person like that, everybody's like, oh man. But I think that's part of the process. And you, you, you have to understand as leaders, like our number one job is to make sure that we're investing in and putting energy and time into the next group of leaders. So to me, I always kind of balance that approach of it is, is you know, making sure that A, I'm giving them the freedom, flexibility and empowerment. B, I'm in, in, enabling them See, I'm constantly checking in with them to see where they're at, see where they're going and see what we can do to provide them and support them to be successful. So that's some, uh, some of the insights I have. 
Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. I mean, <clears throat> I think the, there's another, there's some nuance to managing high performance. Well, a lot of nuance to managing high performers. Um, because, you know, you may see a high performer and you think, oh, that person's performing so well. But they may be at their their um, potential limit. They may be capped at that limit, and and so, you know, those people you've got to keep them motivated somehow. And and you know maybe they're they're capped at that limit, and they enjoy that, and they're just like amazing at their job. They enjoy their job, and so managing that person is different than managing someone that may not be at the top end of their performance scale but may have a sky high level of potential as well. And so those people you need to manage differently. You need to give them different things. And, you know, maybe it's more coaching. Maybe it's just more time in the role. Um, Because, you know, if you treat those two people differently and you just look at performance or you just look at potential, you're going to make mistakes with your high performers. You're going to either, you know, put someone – some people – don't want to go up right and that's that that can be great like they're like i'm a top performer i really enjoy my job i crush it every day i go i do my nine to five and everyone's happy right they're they're doing exactly what they want to do other people have huge ambitions and and you know we've talked a lot on fpna fridays about managing those expectations talking to people really really trying to understand them and their goals and their aspirations and the talent stack that they have so that you can maximize that i think one thing that i've certainly experienced in my career with high performers is is just their especially high performance and high potential people they're just looking to get to that next step all the time right and and a lot of people today i'm i'm a millennial i'm sure chris is sorry glenn um but uh, <laughs> thanks for making me feel old <laughs> <laughs> well I, i'm just using the classifications i've been given um <laughs> but um you know i i think everyone talks today about you know millennials really want to get over their skis really quickly and they're too ambitious i i think that's bs um i think uh, for all time people have wanted to succeed and um some people want to succeed more than others and some people want to you know have that drive have that passion and and they're trying to get where they're going and uh possibly uh today there's more access to do that faster than than maybe previously but I still think that drive has always existed and it's that ability to harness and, and manage that. So, so Glenn, I want to turn it over to you. When you have someone with a sky high potential, but maybe underperforming and you know, the potentials there, or maybe they're just performing at, you know, doing the, the right things, but you're like sitting there going, I know this person can like be five X better than they are. How do you approach that versus maybe someone who's, you know, high performing, but maybe a little lower potential? So an underperforming high performer, if you will, yeah. um, I would, I would approach that person. First of all, you got to talk about why they're underperforming and what they're doing. Right. And, and you need to understand, they need to understand, but you need to show them that next level. Right. It's not a, Hey, I need you to do better. And I've had managers who, you know, I mean, in my career, I was, you know, also a, a relatively good high performer. And I had some managers who just, if I screwed up on something, they said, well, you got to do it better. I'm like, okay, can you teach me? Can you point something? Right? I mean, it's just, just telling me to do it better. It's not like I went out to try and screw something up. So you got to recognize that sometimes you need to do a little hand-holding, even on high performers, to go and talk them through and show them, look, here's what you're doing. You're going over, you're taking this approach. If we change that and you took this approach, now you could be doing these other things over here. Here's the impact. Here's how it's going to be viewed. And you walk them through that and you show them the success that they would get out of that. So you don't you're not micromanaging them, but you're going over and you're kind of changing their trajectory a little bit by saying, look, just because you you are, you know, you could be great at building models, right? I mean, FP&A, we build models all the time. So you could be a great modeling person. But if you don't have that business knowledge, 
then you're not going to build a model that's going to fit well into the business. So let's go over and ask some questions up front. Let's learn about that and show them how to take a slightly different approach so that then they could reach that potential. The thing is, you really have to make sure that you are constantly going over and challenging them to do something different because a high performer does not want a repetitive function. They are not going to say, I want to go over and just keep on doing the exact same thing over and over again. They're going to say, I want to get better. I want to improve. I want to make a bigger impact. So you have to go over and make sure with these high performers, whether they're underperforming or not, doesn't matter, all, all high performers, you need to make sure you have a good ramp to say, okay, we're going to start you off over here. And then once you get that and you've, you've got a good you know, sequence of, of approaches to this that you've shown some successes, here's the next thing we're going to do. And you've got to show them that plan so they know, because Rowan, you were right, people, millennials today in particular, but I think anybody who has ambition just really wants to know, am I going to get to where I want to be? So you got to show them that roadmap and you go over and say, hey, look, first of all, Let's come to reality. You don't get to go and say, I'm a senior financial analyst today. In six months from now, I want to be CFO. That doesn't happen, right? But believe it or not, I've actually had people who have thought that that was an easy step. And so you got to show all the different things. Say, okay, here's what the next level looks like. Uh, one of the things that I actually like to do is, uh, and I did this at Charles Schwab, and I kind of carried it to my other companies afterwards, was to create what I call leveling criteria to say, look, if you are an analyst, here are the expectations. If you want to be a senior analyst, here's how those expectations change. If you want to be a manager, here's now what you have to do, a senior manager, all the way up to director. And you go over and you show people how where the growth needs to come from. This way they can understand it because then the more that they know what they need to do and where they need to go, those high performers are going to go out and do it on their own. You just need to make sure that they're kind of doing it within the right, you know, uh, the, within the, the right aspects or kind of like the, you know, playing within the, the, the foul lines and not going into the stands kind of thing. But, uh, you know, as long as you keep them in that direction, you let them run with what they want to run with. They're excited. They're happy. They feel like they're driving their career and they know they know what they need to do in order to to advance. Yeah, co competency mapping is huge, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because if if you don't do and and you know we've talked a lot about this topic, which is partner with your HR department, please. Um, and if your if your HR department is doing things optimally and and great, then they've done competency mapping and they've worked with you as a leader or your boss's boss or your boss on competency mapping, which is, you know, here's these titles, this is the behaviors and the skill sets that we want for these. And as they grow through these paths, this is where our expectations are. Because uh, unfortunately, if there are no goalposts, you cannot score. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, a lot of individuals feel like the goalposts always move. And that's because those goalposts have never been agreed to by the company, by the boss, by the person. And that's where competency mapping becomes, you know, it's the gold standard of, you know, here's the rules of the game, if you will. This is the field. This is where we mark it all out. This is how many points you get. This is what you get, need to do. And and that becomes, A, a great level set for individuals where they may say, do you know what? I'm really good at the reactive modeling. I do it really fast. I, I'm, I'm fantastic at the... Um, the month-to-month -month cyclical nature of my job, but they may not be very proactive. And right. to get from you know that analyst to director, what do they need to do? They need to get better potentially at cross-functional collaboration, at being proactive, at doing these things. And they may just think, well, I'm a high performer at all these reactive things. And they don't know that the next goal for them is to actually do that. And Glenn, you talked earlier about well, that's what you need to do. You need to uh, help those people see those gaps in their skill set, and and then go and achieve them uh, with really good delegation. So, Ron, one thing just to chime in real quick. 
you also have to make sure that just because somebody thinks that they have achieved all of those, you know, the, the, the skill sets at the next level doesn't mean they automatically get promoted. <laughs> right. Right. And there has to be the ability to promote people. So as a manager, you have to be very careful not to lock yourself in that says if you do A, B and C, then you get promoted because you may not have that power to actually promote them. And then all you're going to end up with is a pissed off high performer who thought they did everything. And, and they're like, hey, why am I not doing it? I did everything you asked. So you got to make sure that there is a little bit of ambiguity, a little bit of flexibility. This way, if they start performing at that level, you could say, look, you're there. You are, you're getting really close. And this way, then the next opportunity you have to promote them, you can. Because if you don't do that, you're just going to end up losing your high performer. Yeah, I, I, I think that's hundred percent true. I also, I also sometimes will counter challenge that, which is if that person's ready for that next step, and and you know uh, in your heart of hearts that that opportunity may not exist at your company for eighteen months, for two years, or you honestly have no idea. Sometimes you've got to be honest with your employee and say, "Look, oh, I love you. 100%. I want you to be here." I, I'm literally bound here because there is there is no you are ceiling, right? Uh, you know maybe that's the truth, and and you have to say to them, look, I I want to work with you. I want you to stay. If you can do that, I'll do everything I can. That you may have built up enough equity, yep. personal equity, where they do decide that. Um, but at the same time, you know sometimes as a leader, you have to let people fly the coop and and be and celebrate that. You know like. Not everyone can be on for the full journey of, of your tenure at an organization. Facts. Oh, my God. Like that, that Rowan is, is powerful, right? Here's the thing we all need to be reality about, right? And I've, I, we've all been on both sides of the fence as an individual contributor, as a leader, as a high performer, high potentials, because leaders are like that too, right? Like leaders are in positions that still have that performance and that potential indicator as they advance, right? But the thing about it is, is that this is the reality, right? Every high potential, high performing person in any organization has an expiration date. It's facts, right? I mean, it, it, literally, like, and I'm not just, I'm not just saying that to be like bold and like, you know, challenge people, but that is it, right? Uh, we, we all have that sort of end game in mind that we're going towards, right? And the thing about it is, is like, as a leader, you have to be conscious of that and the high performers that I had on my team, I know that I've had them. And that honesty check that you mentioned, Rowan, is so important, right? Because high, high performers, those really talented people, they're like Lamborghinis, right? They're Lamborghinis. They want to be on an Autobahn. They want to go 280 miles an hour. They want their engines to red. But sometimes you got to tell that Lamborghini, hey, you're, you're going really fast. Here's the Autobahn runway that you got. But a couple miles ahead is going to be a, 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 a toned down zone. It's going to be a speed limit zone. And that's where the road is in terms of where you got to go. But you still have opportunities in these other areas, right? I think having that conversation is tough for leaders because you're going to them and saying, hey, I know you have so much in the business that you want to do, but this is what we have, right? The, the also piece you need to be thinking about too many times, high performer, high potential people, their ambition, their capacity, their drive, their challenge, that can be distractions. So you have to take a step back and say, look, what reasonably and effectively do I have the business support on that I can do for them? Right. And what is unreasonable that I don't have business support that they they don't have the opportunity to do and lay it out and be here. Here's what we got here. Right. And I think like that piece of it uh, is very, very challenging for people. A lot of times high performers and high potential people, they're very – when you built that equity with them, like that is so important to even deepen that trust with them. There's, there's high performer, high potential people now that have left my teams that still reach out to me. Ortega, I got right. this question. I got this. I got that. Like I got this and I got that, right? And it's just – you got to be conscious of that, man. It's like it's always a balance because I, I I found myself in that situation where I've, I've been a distraction to people. Ironically, people are like, no, nah, Chris Ortega, being a distraction to a business and a accounting finance, FP and 18. Yes, I have been there. 
And I've had to take a step back and like, man, I'm 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 causing more friction, causing more drama than what I'm in, what I want to do and what I'm intended to do. I've, I, it's probably time for me. And I've had conversations with leaders and people that are still my mentors now. And I said to them, you know what? Let's work together. It seems like everything that I want to go do, what my core factors and what I think are my challenges to go do, that's not going to be here. How do we partner together to limit as disruption as possible and make it a win-win for both of us, right? So both sides of the shop, you have to be willing and you have to be very confident in, in having that very, uh, uh, you know, uh, very, very high uh, conversation. But it's so important, right? Because if you don't have that conversation and it's like no clarity in the situation, those people are already finding and seeking clarity in other areas. No, and I think, Chris, you bring up a really great point. I mean, I think when I think about my career, I was in the same I, I went through the same thing you did. And you have to recognize that change is OK. And I always look at is is that there are three aspects to a job you should always be evaluating. You know, the first is your title and your comp. The second is who you work for and work with. And the third is what you actually do on a day to day basis. And when you go into a new role, you're going to say, hey, look, I love what I'm getting. I'm, I'm, hap I'm happy with my title. I like my the people I'm working with. I enjoy the work. But at some point, you're going to say, hey, you know, as a high performer, I want more. I want to advance to that next level. Now, all of a sudden, one of those three things isn't there, you know, and then you, that's when you got to start thinking, is it time to start looking around? And you got to make your own judgment. I always look at it as, as if you have two of the three, you're content. If you have one of the three, you're grumpy. And if you have none of the three, you really got to go. Right. And uh, and that's OK. Uh, you know, I think you need to constantly be evaluating that. And as a manager of in a person, a manager of high performers, you have to be evaluating that for your team as well. And sometimes the answer is just, you know what, I can't get you to where you want to go. So I'm. what can I do to help you? And one thing, one of the most you know, the things that I take probably more pride in than anything else in my career is every single person that I've hired since 2006, with the exception of one, has been internally promoted. And all of those people still stay in touch with me. Nice. And I love that because I've changed companies. They've changed companies, but we still connect. We, we have respect for each other. Some of them have even surpassed me in my career, which I love. You know, other people, I go over, I look at it and say, hey, if I could help them advance their careers and even with another company, by giving them a little advice, you never know how that comes back and you can end up working together again. So uh, you always want to be looking out for your employees and making sure that they're going to achieve the goals that they set out to achieve, especially those high performers, because that's what's on the top of their mind. And if you're not helping them, they're going to say, I'm going to go someplace that I could, I, I'm going to get the help to get to where I really want to be. Facts. I know uh, Chris talks a lot about the uh, the Chicago Bulls, right? Uh, and, you know, he's always trying to claim that he's Jordan. Uh, I, I think MJ's the best all time. No debate, no LeBron. The only person close is Kobe, and that's it. So okay, you, you're definitely a millennial if you're not thinking about Bill Russell and Magic. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you didn't even mention Wilt. Um, Kareem. <laughs> so you know, one of the things that um, that I personally have a feeling about is, um, you know, companies aren't family; they're high-performing teams, and. Why I say that is because, you know, they may draft in new players, they may bring in uh, new new chairmans, new, uh, you know, new front office, new back office, new strength and conditioning people, and everyone's contributing to the performance of that team. But when you put that lens on it and you think about maybe the NBA or baseball or whatever, people move around between teams. And guess what happens? People follow each other around teams. So you can have a couple of all-stars that are floating around and, and they're all traveling together and they all end up and, and they, they win championships for a couple of seasons together. And that might be because they played together at some other team four or five years ago. And so if you have the lens that it's like just about this place in this time, in this now, 
then when you're having some of those conversations, you're really missing some of the wider picture when you're talking to high performers. Because if you think about it as, well, I'm just here to help this person now, they will remember that forever. They, like this person in their career, right? Not in the now, not in, you know, the thing that I need to do to move my business. And if you open up your lens and say, well, you know, what's the best thing for this person? You could say, I think the best thing for you to, is to stay, suck it up for a bit. And, you know, I know I'll be able to get you opportunities in six to nine months and have that frank and honest conversation with someone. That may be the right thing to do. But if you genuinely don't believe that in your heart of hearts, then you're doing that person a disservice and your future self a disservice because you may want to bring them in to another business in a future life that you just don't know about. And, and so it's really important to recognize that you know, a, a lot of companies talk about their family. You can't change your family. <laughs> you can change a high-performing team. High-performing team is, you know, cultures of accountability, cultures of ownership. I don't think families have that. And so I've always just had this ingrained belief in me uh, that, you know, companies are high-performing teams. And so, you know, that's the thing. It's like you can call someone out if they're not practicing properly. And, and you, you can challenge your high performers to do more and you can challenge your high performers to raise the level of the rest of the team as well. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, the, the Chicago Bulls, that's what they did. You know, you, you watch the last dance and you realize how difficult Michael Jordan was on the rest of his team because he just wanted to win, right? And, and that was probably not a fun environment to be in for some of those players. Well, Rowan, I'm going to, you tapped on something which I think is critical when it comes to high performers. There is a difference between managing and mentoring. There's yeah. a very big difference. A yeah. manager says, hey, these are the goals for the company we got to achieve. Let's talk about how we're going to achieve those goals. The mentor says, it's about you, the employee. What do you want to achieve? Oh. That is really the difference. When you go and you look at high performers, you don't need to man manage them as much because they are high performers, but you may need to mentor them. And that is a very big difference. I, I love that mentoring versus managing. Um, you know, you, sure. don't, you never, well, you can manage someone out of the business and you can mentor someone out of the business too. And I think that, those are <laughs> right. two different things, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. And it's very different approaches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe maybe we won't use that one in any content. Um, but, you know, so one, one other thing that I, I'd love to talk about is, is like what are some of the key traits that you see in recognizing high performers? So as you come, Glenn, you, you've, you've been in a lot of big companies and you come in there and, and it may be hard to spot high performing people in much or, or I don't Real know. Real easy actually. Yeah. <laughs> they stand out. Right. You know, that's, that's the thing. I mean, going back to the basketball analogy, Michael Jordan stands out on regardless of what team you put him on, he will stand out. So the high performers always, I mean, within three months, you know who your top people are because everybody's talking about them. And they're your go-to people and say, hey, look, if you need something to get done, this is the person you got to go to. So even if you're walking into a brand new company and you say, all right, I got a team of 20 people here. I got to figure out who are my top performers. You're going to know typically within a week. Mm -hmm. Facts. And, and, and because everybody else around you is going to be telling you. And they're going to go over. Everyone likes to give their opinions about who's good, who isn't, whatever. And trust me, you're going to be able to work that out. Now, doesn't mean everyone gets it right, because in some cases you might have somebody who is not performing that well just because they hadn't been managed or mentored in the right way and they could become a top performer. So but you will have a good sense if they're a top performer, you're going to know right away. Uh, you know, one of the things when it comes to recognizing it. So one, we've talked about ambition. That is pretty a, a pretty common trait in top performers because when you're working towards a higher goal and you have that ambition to get there, it is it, it, it's a pretty obvious thing to see. So um, ambition, as long as it is around improvement, 
improvement in the individual, improvement in the organization, improvement in the team, those types of things. Ambition is great. Ambition to stand on somebody else to get that promotion and knock somebody to make someone look bad so you can look good. That's horrible. So you got to make sure that you, you recognize the right type of ambition there. The other characteristics that I see is team orientation. To recognize you could be a team leader, but if you're not a team player, you cannot be a team leader. You have to know how to work with a team, how to help others. You know, the, the saying, you know, a, a rising tide lifts all boats. You have to be that rising tide as if you are going to be a star player. You can't just go out and say, hey, I'm going to go score 50 points every game. And because you're a ball hog, I mean, I'm going to go back to the basketball analogy. And my apologies to, Car to Carmelo Anthony, but he's never won a championship, but he was a great scorer. Right. Right. There's a big difference between Magic Johnson and Car Carmelo Anthony. OK, yes, they also play different positions. But the thing is, is that one helps everyone around them. You see that right now in the NBA finals with Chris Paul. And the other is just out there to get their points because that's how they're going to get paid. And, and, and so you really have to go and make sure that they are a team player. The third thing that you really want to look for, and this is not something you can teach, but it's just someone who can pick things up quickly. Because if they could go into, I mean, how many times have you guys gone into a meeting and you had absolutely no idea what you were walking into? And all of a sudden they start talking about something, they turn to you and say, well, what do you think? If you are not able to comprehend what's going on around you to connect some dots and put things together you are not going to be that star player you got to be able to think quickly on your feet be able to absorb what's around you and be able to come up with a strong argument or or position that can help move the conversation forward and so to me those are the three things that that you really look for one the right kind of ambition two being a team player and three, being able to pick things up and learn quickly. I, I think if you have those three things, you're going to be a top performer. Nice. Glenn, one of the things you talked about there was uh, was actually something that uh, we talk a lot about here. Uh, and we've actually all read a book called Intangibles by Joan Ryan. And I know you're a bit of an inside baseball guy. And it talks a lot about um, you know certain baseball teams and how they've had different actors within that team right people playing different roles you know the the hard-headed you know driver the joker that or jester and and how each team can often need one of those things in order to lift its performance and it's actually in, in kind of a little bit of conflict to the money ball type mentality um and i think that's also true of organizations right uh, you know, a lot of people talk about culture eating strategy and, and those sorts of things. You have to have both um, to, to really, really outperform uh, your, com your, comp your competition, your goals, your plans. And actually, you know, high performers, they set the tone for your company culture. And so sure. the way that you manage uh, high performers is really, really important in terms of the way that you, you actually define your culture within your organization. A lot of, you know, I, 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 as a revenue operations leader, you hear a lot about, you know, the, the Wolverine, not the, the lone wolf sales rep, right? And if they get celebrated too much, then actually the culture shifts so far away where everyone thinks it's okay to be that person. Whereas if they just kind of get acknowledged and yes, you know, uh, you know, what's his name did he, did a great job. What's her name? You know, brought in that big deal. But if you actually celebrate the the culture that you want to espouse in the organization for those other top performers, then you're going to get you know what you're looking for out of your high performers. So. Chris, maybe talk a little bit about how you see high performers influencing uh, culture at, at at your organization. Oh man, like this is this is such a great topic, right? I mean, when I look at the the road that we're going down in the acquisition, right? So going my first time, eyes wide open, you know, full honest and transparency, going through a transaction and and everything around this has posed so many different learning opportunities, right? Uh, we've had we've had leaders that have been part of the historical business that are no longer going forward. So we are in that chapter of writing that new chapter. And it's exactly what you just said, right? 
getting back to the Bulls analogy, right? What made the Bulls so successful, right? This is it. And I wrote an article about this. It's called Redefining High, uh, high Performance and Potential. Um, and what made them so successful and what makes a high performance team successful is the different roles and responsibilities that you need from them. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Tony Kukoc, Luke Longley, right? Like that was the five, right? And you look at that, Dennis Rodman, every high performance accounting finance FP&A team needs a Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman was going to come in there. Now, now, not from the wild, not from like the crazy hair, like everything outside of that, right? Like, oh, let me, let me be we clear, right? of people Hey, hey Chris, are, are you going <laughs> yeah, yeah. to shoot off to yeah. Vegas right before close? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not, I'm saying like in his play, what he brought to the table and the team. I'm not talking about his extracurricular activities. And I'm definitely not, and I'm definitely not telling accounting finance FNA people to be Dennis Rodman. Definitely not. That was scary everybody you can be Dennis Rodman for Halloween but not like all the time. <laughs> like, don't do that right but what he did was right he came in he played great defense he gave his all and he got rebounds that's what he wanted to do he didn't want to go score shoot three pointers he didn't want to diagram plays he came in and said you know what these three things I want to be the best at that right and then you had Tony Kukos that was a very, like, versatile, right? But he didn't really want to he, – he had no aspirations of being, you know, the Michael Jordan or the, the, the MVP. He, he wanted to come in there and be versatile. So what I'm mentioning all that is you need to make sure that you're balancing that out, right? I can tell you right now the most stressful thing you can have as a leader is having a full team of Michael Jordans. Like, as much as how great that sounds and – your life would be a nightmare trying to balance all these different things, right? Trying to balance, like, how do I keep all these people happy? And what do I do? And, like, that is – so you want to have it well-rounded, right? You want to have your complementary players. You want to have your people that are just, like, in that in-between. And then you want to have your combination of your, 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 your top performers. The best thing – this is a golden nugget for all the leaders. Don't tell a high performer what to do and when to do it. Tell them how are we going to do it and how do we do it together? Where do we need to go and how do we get there, right? Most of the time, high-performing, high-potential people, they just want they, they want that time with you. And one thing I always do is like, you know, for my tactical and my, my role players, those Dennis Ramos and Coney Ku coaches, I sit down with them and say, man, you're doing a really good job. Let's scope out your roles. Let's scope out these four things. How do we enable you? How do we give you the skills? How do we give you the training around that? When my high performers, I sit down, I always give them problems. Man, I'm, the business is struggling with this. How do we go about solving this? And what would be your recommendations, right? Now you've put them into the driver's seat. You put them to say that timeout on the bench. Hey, guys, we need to score this three-point bucket. How do we go out there and do that? Michael Jordan, what do you think we should do? Of course, Michael Jordan is going to step up and be like, Give me the ball. This is what we should do. I need to pick from you, pick from that. Okay, guys, let's go out and score this goal, right? So I think a lot of time, and this is tough, the, the moving from an individual contributor to leadership, the biggest difference around that is like most of the time as a leader, your satisfaction and your biggest moments are going to be from the people. It's going to be from the culture. It's going to be from the organization, right? And let's be honest, accounting, finance, and FP&A, we're – you know, we're behind the scenes. A lot of what we do goes unnoticed. So if you're looking to, and I learned from experience on that. I'm telling you from, from experience, I had to get, I had to get past the point of like, yo, Chris, you're at the stage of your career where nobody's going to celebrate you, bro. Like nobody's going to sit back and be like, Chris, you did a great job of leading us through that adversity. Nobody's going to do that. But the thing about it is, is like, you have to focus on how do you build that complimentary team? And in driving culture around that, you want to make sure you're championing those high performers across all different areas, right? Sometimes what I love to do in a county finance FP&A, put my high performer with a high performer in marketing, a high performer in a different service line. You get two people in different functional areas that are high performers together and say, guys, man, we got a problem around our NPS scores around implementation. We've seen a dip. High performer accounting finance FPA, high performer implementation. Guys, how do we how do we how do we solve this problem? Let them go. 
send them in little special ops missions to partner with other high potential, high performance people inside the organization wins, wins. And, you know, Chris, you hit on something that I think is really key. If you have an individual contributor who's looking to get more into a management role, open up the decision making process to them. You know, don't go over, you don't want to, high performers don't want to be dictated to. They want to come up with their own solutions. So be open to that, brainstorm with them. Uh, I always love doing this. I mean, I'm a big brainstorming person and I love having whiteboards all over the place and, you know, just mapping things out. But invite them into the meetings, just say, here's what we're trying to solve for. And let them contribute to the solution rather than you telling them as their manager, here's the solution, now go and implement it. By going over and opening that up, not only are you giving those high performers an opportunity to bring in their talents into the decision-making process, you're also teaching them a much broader world that they would have to get into in the next level. Also, let me just add to what Glenn said, I think is equally important, right? Listen, let them advocate and give them the bandwidth to go actually do it. Like, right. I think too many times, man, leaders do so much mouth and lift service around like, yeah, 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 yeah. But when it comes down to the action and it comes down to like, yo, remember what we was talking about? And it's like, oh, man, talking about it is one thing, actually giving them the ability to do it. Here's what I always tell everybody on my team, everybody on my team that I work with now and in the future, I always tell them. You have me as a safety net. Like, you know those people, I don't know what you call them, those acrobatic people that are up there doing all this magic and uh, all these flips and stuff. Trapeze trapeze people, right? I always tell them, like, under that right there is always going to be me, right? And honestly, like, I've had high performance in people and they've gone out and done things and they mess things up. I'm the first one to come in. I own this. This is my responsibility. I did it. Everything's on me. Bob, I'll take the full blunt of it, right? And then after that, I go back with them and be like, hey, what do you think? Like, what went around that piece of it? So creating that safety net, but also putting the actions and the words that they come in with, with aligning those. Letting them actually go out there and do it. Go execute on it. Like so many times the people, you know, they come to me like, Chris, I think we should do. Okay, let's go do it. And they're like, hold on, what? Like, I don't need approval from you. Like, I'm struggling with that. Like, I, everybody feels like they need approval from me on stuff. I'm like, I don't – do you feel like it's the right thing to do? Is it, gonna, is, it, is it the right thing to do? Is it right for our business? Is it right for our customers? Is it right for our employees? They're like, yeah. I'm like, you don't need me to answer that. Like, I don't, I don't want to be sitting back approving everything all day, right? So, like, I'm, I'm learning that part of our business is so used to my predecessor being a, well, we got to ask him for everything to do. And I'm like, no. You don't. If it's right for the customer, it's right for the business, and you stand behind it, and it makes financial sense, execute. Go do what you need to do to run the the business. The key part there, though, Chris, is you've given guardrails, right? Uh, The guardrails are, you know, is it right for the customer? Is it right for the business? Does it make financial sense, right? And if they can tick those three boxes, then they're going to go and do it. Potentially, that's all your predecessor was doing. He just never gave those guardrails to anyone else. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's important. Chris, you also mentioned, and I would say just to add to what you were talking about, is sometimes your high performers are going to come in. They're going to say, hey, I have an idea. This is what I'm thinking about. You know, because you've been there before, that's not going to work. And you kind of you you give them a little guidance and they say, no, 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 I think I can really do this. You know what? If it stays within the team, let them do it. Let them learn. Go say, "Okay, you know what? Go for it. I think this will be your conclusion. But give it a shot and come back because you're keeping it within the team. That failure is not something that's going to be exposed to the business. And what always happens is that high performer goes over and says, okay, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show Glenn. Oh, yeah, you know, he wasn't right about this. And they come back and say, yeah, you were right. I didn't see this. And I'm like, yep, there you go. And the thing is now they learn because they did it on their own. It's one of those things that you learn so much more from doing on your own than from somebody telling you. So sometimes you got to let those high performers just fail because they're going to learn. As long as you keep that failure just within your team, fantastic learning opportunity. Yeah, I've got a really great example of this, and uh, and we're going to run this clip when we actually do this thing. So uh, the team came to me with an idea a few months back, and I was like, I love the idea. 
And then they're like, well, it's going to cost us $100,000. And I was like, whoa, I don't love it now. And I'm like. <laughs> yeah. Spoken like a finance person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I said, is there a way that we can do this a lot cheaper and, you know, really just kind of make it just something that we do internally? And if we do that, let's not tell anyone about it. And let's keep it just in time, inside our team, inside our structure. And that way we haven't set this big kind of expectation that there'll be this big $100,000 thing coming. It's like, let's play an experiment and use our team's skills and talents to see if we can do it on the cheap. And if it works, then we'll tell everyone about it. And the team loved that a that safety net that you talked about chris right which the safety net was guys i'm gonna let you do this but no one else will know so there's the safety net the the guardrails were make it cheap and and (laughs) because it's a big idea right it's an exciting idea and and by the way we're going to run this clip when we launch this thing and and people people love it but um it's we're at the we're at the ten yard line now with this this cool thing, and it's amazing. The team have knocked it out of the park, and it's going to be awesome. So number one, I got to uh, keep that, protect them, allow them lots of creative freedom to go and do this thing. I saved myself a hundred thousand dollars, and um, well, I saved the company a hundred thousand dollars, and we're getting a, a much more uh, creative project, I think, because of it without all this huge expectation. Like this is a gift that we now get to give to the company, which is gonna be really fun. So I just thought I'd share that with you because you both are talking about those two things, right? Having a safety net and then also giving people freedom to fail with that safety net behind them. And and, and that's just one example that, that I've certainly uh, leveraged recently. And I think all the listeners of this podcast are gonna love it. Nice. <laughs> all right. so. I know I have to run. Uh, this has been an amazing FPNA Fridays. Uh, for those recapping, we've talked a lot about how to manage high performers, how to identify how to high performers, how to really think about different types of high performers, and we talked a little bit about uh, you know high performance culture and, and trying to manage that. So, thank you, everyone. Uh, Glenn Snyder, Chris Ortega, have a uh, have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs>